0: Welcome to Industry Focus,
1: the podcast
0: that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day.
1: I'm your host, Emily Flippin.
0: I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today, we're talking financials. Today, we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today, we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus, I'm Nick Seipel. Today on the Energy and Industrials podcast, we're talking about technology, of course, we aren't talking about the, the kind of technology that helps you sell ads online or play the latest video game. No, we're talking about the technology that helps blue-collar folks like construction workers and farmers do their work more efficiently. That's the kind of technology that companies like Caterpillar and John Deere are delivering to their customers today. Today, our Motley Fool contributor Luis Sanchez joins me to break down these two industrial giants and talk about why the market may not be giving them enough credit for their tech offerings. Luis, thanks for joining me on the podcast once again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always great to have you on the podcast, Luis. You know, we're kind of throwing a curveball. We're talking about tech on the energy show, and I think one of the big tech words you'll hear all the time is meta, right? There's the metaverse, there's uh, the meta game, all those sorts of things. So Maybe let's talk about like the meta world of investing, right? We're we're talking today about Caterpillar and John Deere. These are companies we think of as like, you know, country music type of companies, like, you know, hard hat type companies, blue collar uh, type companies. Are they what you think of as a tech company, or what is a tech company today in 2021?
1: Yeah, it, that's actually one of like my pet peeves when when people talk about like uh, this company is a tech company and this company's an old school legacy company. The line over time, it, it's not just blurred; it's it's kind of disappeared in a lot of ways. And you know, in in 2021, basically every company, if they're not tech enabled they're They're not doing too well, so all these companies are using tech. Uh, they may not be pure play tech businesses in the classical sense, but they're they're using a lot of tech as we'll talk about
0: right yeah if you look at the meta game of business the dominant strategy today involves using some type um, of tech and, you know so um, you know uh, that, that that's that's part of the strategy you have to play so one of the one of the examples I think is an interesting framework to think about of a transition from a, a company that's maybe traditionally hardware focused to, to rolling out more technology offerings Apple's always been a technology company but this move into services um, and software um, I think is an interesting example that maybe we can use as a, as a framework to talk about what's going on uh, with these two businesses so with that is that with that as a of a background, Luis, can you tell us about the Apple example and how that maybe applies to, to what we're going to talk about today?
1: Sure. So it's it's an interesting comparison to make because historically Apple's always been primarily a hardware company. You know, they sell laptop computers and they were selling iPhones, which they're primarily making money at, at the at the point of which you buy the, the device. And over the last five years or so. The services side of Apple's business has, has really taken off and it's it's become a very large business in and of itself. So they're still selling this hardware, but they've been able to attach this really high margin service revenue on top of that. And just to throw out a stat, last year Apple generated fifty-four billion dollars in, in services revenue, which just shows you like, you know, this company that, that's historically been perceived to be pretty much just a, a hardware company is is a a massive service uh, software company too.
0: Absolutely. That opportunity you unlock with your installed base uh, of devices uh, across the world, across all your users. Well, these industrial companies have an installed base of devices just like Apple does. But th- there are some differences when you think about you know the type of customer that Apple has and the type of customer that's maybe using some of these, these pieces of, of industrial equipment. So where do you think are the biggest differences maybe between Apple's business and then the type of technology that, that these companies are trying to sell to their customers and maybe how they go about selling it?
1: Yeah, the the distinction is really like Apple iPhones they they're really a consumer product. So consumer products are marketed in a certain way that appeals to uh people. So that could just mean like selling a flashy feature or selling a look. You know, people want to look cool and I think a lot of people have talked about how Apple devices are so well designed they're they're almost like a fashion uh, statement versus like a tractor you know, I, I, I'm certainly a lot of people do care about what their tractor looks like. I, I can assure you that, but they probably care more most about like, uh, what what kind of load can they haul on the tractor, and like what the you know really what the ROI is going to be on like using a piece of equipment. And I, I think that's the distinction between how like a business analyzes an equipment purchase versus like when a consumer thinks about well, which phone do they want to buy
0: yeah I think one other distinction and we can talk about this as we move into into caterpillar is just the rate of adoption right Consumers, i think in you know the regular consumer maybe is quicker to it to pick up the new iPhone or the new piece of technology than maybe some of the these older industries that have been around for a long time right We've been mining and farming for a hundred plus years. some folks in this industri- in these industries have uh you know or, or maybe have some ways of doing things that're they're, that they're less willing to change or really need to see you know dollars and cents about why we're gonna make um, this change over so let, let's get into let's get into caterpillar. Um you know we 've been using this apple uh, apple analogy. I talked about you know the installed base um, of devices when you think about caterpillar what are the what is this installed base what what is this traditional business that the company's been in
1: sure I, yeah caterpillar is a a global heavy equipment conglomerate they they serve uh, all sorts of different end markets you know they're doing mining they're building mining equipment they're doing a lot of construction equipment, so excavators and backhoes. they're also servicing um, the energy market with like uh, pumps and they're servicing the transportation market. I mean really like if you need to do a big heavy project, whether it's build a building or move move a bunch of rocks or move a bunch of fluid, Caterpillar is probably going to be involved at some point in that process,
0: right? Exactly. If you if you drive into a construction site or a mine or anything like that, there's going to be a caterpillar, uh, a piece of equipment out there um, in the market. When you talk about Caterpillar's business historically, uh, the hardware, where has Caterpillar made its money? Um, yeah. So I think
1: the way to think about it is like Caterpillar's an OEM. They they sell the equipment and they distribute it through dealers. So I think the the best analogy is to kind of think of it to compare it to like the automotive market where you have like Ford and GM that are making the equipment and then they're um you know they're distributing through dealers who they sell to at a at a wholesale price and market up and you know the transformation that's really happening over the last ten years or so is that now th- this equipment is coming pre-installed with uh software and pre-installed with a bunch of sensors and. You know, they could. The primary way that Caterpillar is making their money off of this is by just, you know, they're putting more stuff into the equipment. So they're charging more money for the equipment. But there also is an opportunity down the road, and in some cases today, where they're actually charging extra for some of this uh, technology.
0: Right. I think one of the things you you talked about uh, with me, Luis, is how servicing is a really important part of Caterpillar's business. Um, And so, you know, there, there is a certain amount of recurring revenue uh, with these these devices, and now as you attach um, some of the, this technology, uh, you get maybe other forms of recurring revenue as well, as it can maybe help the servicing side of their business as well.
1: For sure. So the mind blowing statistic that uh, someone told me was over the life of uh, of a Caterpillar machine, the average Caterpillar machine, and you know, there's a, a diversity of different machines, but over the life of a machine. A multiple of somewhere in the order of four or five times as much money is spent on parts and servicing for that equipment than is spent on the original price, and so that kind of illustrates like the, uh, you know, the aftermarket revenue opportunity as, as they re- as they refer to it, right? So, um, and and w- w- to even contextualize that even more, like these machines aren't cheap, right? So some of these. Some of these pieces of equipment could go for like seven-figure dollar amounts. So if you think about a mining company that might be spending a million dollars on, you know, a large, uh, a large truck that can haul, you know, this material, and then think about the millions and millions of dollars they spend over like a ten to twenty-year life on servicing that equipment, you could really start to understand, like, okay, this is a really this business model is really interesting, and it's not just about you know a one-time transaction.
0: Absolutely, and I think that illustrates another one of those those points we talked about earlier about maybe the difference between um, you know Apple's attachment of some of the, these technology services versus versus caterpillar I mean you're, you're getting a new iPhone every three years you're not turning over your, your caterpillar uh, piece of equipment um, you know except for every you know five ten years d- depending uh, you know maybe if you buy used um, it, may, it may be shorter than that uh, but when you're talking about that this new technology that the, the top of the line uh, um, equipment with with the latest technology caterpillar is implementing um, what are those offerings the company has, and why is this something that that's really going to uh, be meaningful for customers and for the business?
1: For sure. So they uh, they have various different technologies that they're that they're using, and they they categorize it into like three buckets. The first bucket is called what they call telematics. The second bucket is automation, and the last bucket is uh, e-commerce. Right. So to start with telematics, it's 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 a fancy word, but essentially what it means is you're putting a bunch of sensors into the machine. So you're putting sensors that, that uh, can give you data about like the health of, of the machine, which parts of the machine need to be serviced, where the machine is, so GPS. And you're really turning that equipment into something that generates data that can be analyzed, right? And the way that, so that obviously you can directly translate that into software, right? Uh, because once you have data, then you can do something with the data. And what the what the goal is here is kind of twofold. Uh, the first the first part of it is really just it's all about efficiency. So it's helping customers uh, figure out like how to better utilize their equipment. the The customers can, um, you know, they could see that they could see the analytics and they could see like, oh, okay, these machines are like operating at like ninety percent utilization. You know, I currently have a fleet of like. Hundred trucks, maybe I only need like ninety five if I if I want to be fully utilized. And that you know, those are like it helps it helps customers make decisions about how to how to optimize, right? And then the other side of it is, this is where like the data could actually be predictive, and it could actually help the uh, the customer maybe know in advance like oh like this equipment it's it's maybe it it might need a new tire after in like another like couple of months. Like maybe we should get on that or, you know, there's a, there's a service warning here. So maybe we should inspect, get, get, uh, get one of our uh, dealers to come over and, and inspect this. And at the end of the day, like why this is like really important is because when you're talking about these large scale projects, like an oil sands project in Canada, where there's tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars invested into a project, the ability to optimize that project by like five or ten percent is is worth a lot,
0: right? Right. When you're trying to avoid downtime in your production, the analogy I think about is you hear this a lot in um in tech. There will be these like uh, SaaS applications. They're like if they save engineers fifteen minutes a day, then, then it makes up for it because of how much you're paying engineers. And I think it's the same type of analogy here in here in this business, right? If you're avoiding your fundamentally critical excavator from having downtime and you can predict that or, or, or stay one step ahead of that then you're then those costs that you're avoiding uh, um, by making that investment are worth paying X dollars to, to caterpillar for that piece of technology that the the savings that they can justify um, to the customer by avoiding those issues uh, makes it easy for, for caterpillar to say hey you guys you know give us, give us uh, X amount of dollars for our piece of technology it makes that ROI uh, um, calculation really easy to sell for the for the uh, the company. Or easier to sell.
1: Yeah, totally. That that definitely gets back into that calculation of well, if this equipment's going to help me operate more efficiently, then I could more easily justify paying this six-figure or seven-figure price tag for for this equipment. Um, th- this other bucket of uh, automation that they refer to is also really really fascinating because we, we talk about like self-driving cars uh, in in the automotive space. And it's almost like caterpillars, like living in the future because they already have autonomous uh, equipment that, that's running at uh, construction sites. And at really primarily mining sites is, is where you're seeing a lot of like fully autonomous vehicles. They also have uh, vehicles that are controlled like remotely from another location. And there's a ton of interesting applications of this. The first is really safety, right? We've, we've all heard about these mining accidents whether they be in a copper mine or whether they be in like Thailand in, in the cave incident. Um, so the ability to, to limit the number of people that actually have to go into a mine um, that have to be at this site where, you know, maybe the the foundation or the, the particles in the air aren't as safe as, as would be in other places. Like that's great, that's just awesome. And it's really cool to see if, if you go on their if you go on Caterpillar's website or if you just Google or go on YouTube and look at the automation tools that Caterpillar has. You can see all these really cool vehicles that are operating without humans uh, sitting in the cab or really any human involvement. And they have people basically in these uh, control centers who may be uh, monitoring like five or six different pieces of of autonomous vehicles at the same time. So that brings you to the other point, which is like uh, this is like super efficient, right? And this is like another way to save money, and not only because you can. Uh, afford to operate with uh, fewer people but you could run these machines 24/7 so unlike a miner uh who's who is going to get tired after uh spending a day in the mine like as long as you take care of the machine the the machine isn't going to get tired <laughs>
0: Right, and I think this is one of those cases where you know somebody has to take care of that machine, right? So the job moves from somebody being down in the mine working this this really, I think, taxing job. Not a lot of folks would sign up for if they had other alternatives. So now folks are maybe take caring, taking care of this equipment and all those sorts of things. Also, from the perspective of the company, um, you know, you do, uh, anytime you have accidents or, or those sorts of things, are very very costly for the business. So again, goes back to the the ROI side. Let's talk about this. This um, oh maybe maybe last thing I think is interesting on automation. You mentioned how we do have automation. You know, in these kind of mining applications, really being the first place we're seeing it in the market. Um, one of the things that I think folks need to think about with automation is part of part of the complexity of the problem is just all the different variables involved in the task of driving, or just the different things that that you can encounter. Um, particularly when you're doing it at high speed. The higher speed you're at, the, the more quickly these computers have to make calculations. When you think about mining, or we're going to talk about later, um, in agriculture, you're both in a much more controlled environment with fewer variables. So, like uh, a mine is a very, very controlled space, right? With very, very controlled routes. Also, secondly, you're going much, much slower, right? So, uh, so, so the, the calculations you need to make, and your roam, uh, your ability to. Uh, your margin of error is much broader um, in these environments. You can just stop the vehicle in the middle of you know uh, in the middle of your construction site and it doesn't bother anything. You can't just stop your vehicle in the middle of the road um, when your car gets confused so, so both because of you know the safety aspect but also just the controlled aspect of the environment makes this this a place where, where automation can come to come to market sooner than, than maybe these more complex environments with with crazy people all over the road.
1: If you think about it, right, there's a few other ways that like it's easier to make these things automated. The the first is that you could just stick ugly sensors wherever you want because no one, nobody cares if there's a really ugly sensor on the on the hood of of the mining vehicle. The other thing is you could put sensors in the field, right? That help the the vehicle transverse. Which so you could set it up so, like like you said to set, such that it's a controlled environment, and it just makes it much easier, much more realistic. It, it's a totally different problem, you know. So automation and mining, and automation in like you know these like. Industrial fields is a totally different problem than uh, what we see like on highways and, and city streets. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's interesting. We kind of have the, the, these two things happening at, at the same time. And, and really, some of, some of the innovations that we have, you know, in in these industrial settings um, are, are going to be uh, useful um, in other places. But I think it's interesting. If you're interested, in, uh, I keeps using interesting. But if you have an interest in autonomy, um, then this is an area to watch as far as the, the places where we're going to see it on the market. Um, First, now the last kind of bucket you mentioned, Luis, is e-commerce. How does that plug into Caterpillar's uh, strategy when it comes to technology?
1: Yeah, so as as it implies, e-commerce is about selling. So this is like giving the dealers more tools um, to you know market products, uh, more ways to connect customers with dealers, whether that's an app or a website. There's a really good Cat app where you know not only can you browse the catalog. But you could also do things. You could also request certain servicing features, and because you're connecting, this is where it all kind of comes together, right? Because you're connecting the the machines with all these sensors, and the app uh, the the app has all the all the information about your machine. It could more, it can make it easier to know, like, okay, well, which part do I need exactly, or like which parts are compatible with my machine. Um, the other the other side of this is 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 cool too, which is that the fact that there collecting this data on the health of these machines, it helps the uh, dealers know um, what inventory they need to carry. So if, because if you talk to a cat dealer, you know, they'll tell you like, well, with this, all these telematics and GPS, we know like how many, what, what equipment is in the field. We know like what's actually like being operated and we know the health of that equipment. So if all of a sudden, like all these machines break at the same time, they're hopefully going to have a little bit of a, of a warning ahead of that. And as you can imagine, like the supply chain for this like really complicated equipment is uh, is not straightforward. So they definitely, you know, this actually helps the companies better, you know, more quickly service customers, um, but also run, you know, with lower inventory, which helps Caterpillar become a more profitable company. Um, and you know, the last thing too is that because the customers are more like engaged with the dealers, um, this whole like aftermarket uh, parts market of the heavy equipment industry, there's there's like private label parts makers, right? So, part of this whole push is that Caterpillar wants to to maintain or to have more market share in this aftermarket business. So, by having more connection between the dealer and the customer, they have a better chance of. Securing that aftermarket that aftermarket parts
0: business, which goes back into that stat you mentioned earlier about how that that's even larger um, than the the parts and services servicing part of the business is even larger um, than, than the equipment sales, which ties into maybe my last question on on Caterpillar. Uh, but before we move on um, to John Deere, when you think about the size of this tech opportunity and where it fits into Caterpillar's strategy, how would you describe that to folks?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's twofold, maybe even threefold, but. The first is that um, putting more, offering more value to the customer allows the company to justify uh, higher prices for their equipment. So they can, uh, you know, they can increase the prices on the equipment on average like five percent per year, or have a, a nice healthy inflation rate because they're they're delivering more value to the customer, right? Uh, so that's one way that it helps Caterpillar benefit. The other, the other benefit is what we were just saying about the parts, um, that parts market share. So, a couple of years ago, Caterpillar had this investor day where they gave this target and they said, we currently do about $14 billion a year in parts revenue, but in 10 years, we want to double that to $28 billion. And a lot of that is really just from getting more of that pie. So that's a huge revenue opportunity. And it's also higher margin revenue, right? Selling parts and selling services, higher margin than selling the OEM equipment. And, you know, I guess the last thing I would say about this is by adding more technology into the equipment, it just gives Caterpillar another opportunity to differentiate versus uh, other, other manufacturers that maybe haven't made as much of an investment. So I think it's brand building and brand enhancing.
0: Right. So again, sounds like sounds like the Apple story. Brand and average selling prices is, is a big part of, uh, of that story as well. We'll come back um, to Caterpillar and maybe some on, on valuation um, after we talk about um, John Deere. But uh, so let's move on um, to John Deere now. How would you compare and contrast John Deere's tech strategy uh, to Caterpillar's approach that we just outlined?
1: Sure. Well, the biggest difference is like John Deere. They, they, John Deere does make some. Construction equipment, like little excavators and, and things like that. But what John Deere is known for is selling to farmers and selling to the agricultural market. And there's a really big difference in that end customer, uh, you know, the the farmer versus selling to a construction company or a mining company. And it has a lot to do with like the, the sophistication of the buyer and and the the scale of the buyer. So a, a construction company or a mining company. Is usually like this huge multi-billion-dollar operation, very sophisticated. Uh, they have people doing all the math to figure out how much more efficient and how much money this equipment's going to cost them. Your average farmer is a 57-year-old uh, entrepreneur who owns like a couple hundred acres of land and has been probably doing it their whole life in in a multi-generational setup and. They're not gonna. They're not the the demographic that's the technology early adopters, right? So it takes it's it's a little bit of a different like introducing technology to a farmer is a little bit different than introducing technology to a construction company.
0: Yeah. So we've talked about how how farmers are maybe a little bit different customer uh, than we think about um, from from the type of customer you're getting in in construction and mining that Caterpillar deals with. Um, when we look at the technology that the John Deere is rolling out and trying to market uh, to their customers uh what what type of technology offerings does John deere have today
1: so John Deere they market their technology effort they use this phrase called precision agriculture and this is like this all encompassing phrase which basically means like a smart farm <laughs> so uh it's it's a little bit different but they kind of break down this idea of precision agriculture also into a couple of different categories. The one category is is guidance. Another category is telematics. And then lastly, uh, like I would just refer to the last thing as like software. Um, So uh, there's some similarities here between the way that they categorize it with the the Caterpillar. Guidance is um, a little bit different though, from Caterpillar in the sense that like, Caterpillar is offering, is already automating a lot of vehicles, but farm equipment is is not yet fully automated. So guidance is more like the Tesla autopilot version of automation, where they're helping farmers like with auto steering and like routing. So um, John Deere, like th- one of their most popular software offerings, is called AutoTrack, which essentially is. It, it lines up your your machine, whether it's a combiner or a tractor, to like the most optimal way to, to pass through the field, uh, whether you're doing, you're tilling the soil or harvesting grain or what, you know, whatever you're doing. And that, so essentially like it makes, it makes the process of, of sitting in the cab a little bit less, a little bit more passive, right? So you don't have to like manually steer the, steer the cab. And it helps for a few reasons like first it just it, it can they what John Deere says is like using a feature like auto track can uh keep keep the uh the the person operating the machine like uh operating it for longer so like uh they'll not tire out as quickly and the second thing is just efficiency right the the software will figure out like well what's the most efficient route so you know again we could save the farmer maybe like 20% uh of their time which uh, obviously is is meaningful when you're doing this for like twelve hours a day.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about like 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 mowing your grass, right? It makes sure that you make the most efficient the most efficient passes, and also you can get the lawnmower that has the self propulsion, right? Like you could still push the lawnmower on your own, but. If you have the one with the self propulsion, of course you're going to get the one uh, that, that mm-hmm. helps you push it. So same type of thing uh, here uh, in the tractor business. And I think one of the things we talked about um, before, uh, Luis, is this is a product that over time folks have become uh, more accustomed to and more dependent on and more willing to, to pay up for.
1: Yeah. So this is this is a really interesting case study when you think about like adoption of, of tech. So Autotrack is. is almost 20 years old I, I believe i think it was introduced in the mid 2000s and at the time like no one really wanted this they didn't know why they needed it so like the adoption rate when they launched it was like 5 or 10% and i think they i think John Deere was literally giving it away so that people would kind of become more accustomed to it fast forward you know f- 10 15 years and almost everyone who who's operating uh one of these machines is is using auto in fact people will not People will not buy a used piece of, of John Deere equipment unless it has auto track working. It's a huge deal when when you start looking at uh, the market for these for these machines. So you know like why is that? like I guess given enough time, uh, even you know even these like older demographics will will learn to uh, learn how, how the technology can benefit them. It, maybe it just takes 10 or 20 years. And, and I'm sure like John Deere has, has uh, made the auto track feature. Um, easier to use and like more useful as well. Right.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of human nature, right? Where, we're like you know, automatic cars. I'm sure for a while there were people like, oh, I'm going to stick with the with the standard transmission, and now you have to like try really hard uh, to find one because convenience sells. At the end of the day, people are people are lazy for better or worse. If you can find a way to let people be lazy and still get the job done, uh, sooner or later they'll pay up for it. Uh, you talked about the telematics uh, side of John Deere's offering as well. That that is uh, similar to 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 what Caterpillar's offering. Does it fit differently into John Deere's strategy though, relative to what Caterpillar's trying to do?
1: Yeah. So again, telematics is all about putting sensors into the machines to so, to like make them smarter. And you know, same same thing as uh, Caterpillar, they're collecting data on like the health of the machines, figure out like what parts uh, they need to be replaced. But John Deere is actually going even further than Caterpillar in some of the in some of the applications of this. And like a couple of really cool things that I was learning about was some of the sensors on on these. Uh, on these tractors and harvesters are like collecting soil samples like while the machine is is passing through the field and determining okay well do we it, the machine is is determining okay like what treatment needs to be made to the soil or um you know maybe some parts of the field may need to be treated a little bit differently maybe you want to spray one pesticide in a certain part of the field and you want to put a fertilizer in another part of the field so it it's a it's a really interesting um you know way to it actually enables you to do things that you just aren't able to do without this kind of more advanced technology the other thing too is like the the uh the level of precision that you could get with like you know some of these more advanced machines in terms of like getting the the seabed placed to the right position to like the millimeter it's kind of crazy, right? Like it's just it's crazy like how uh um how much how much better they're able to optimize uh the the process of farming when you start adding uh you know really sophisticated software. It, and it's like software, like what why does why do you need to get the, the seed bed, you know, even more precise? Well, there's a lot of factors that like an old machine that was built like fifty years ago can't figure out. For example, like if the if there's a hill, right, or if there's like rocks, you know, maybe you don't want to put a maybe you don't want to put a seed, place some of that seed, but on a rock, right, or maybe you want to like put it on a certain part of the hill where it's gonna get better, uh, better conditions, right? So it can it can calculate things on the fly that uh, that can actually be really meaningful to to someone who's trying to get the most out of their out of their land.
0: Right, always adding adding efficiency. I think it's more important than ever because the the world population keeps growing, and yet we're we're not making a new farmland. And so the story of the past two hundred years have been able to increase efficiency, and, and hopefully you know some of this technology can allow us to, to continue doing that. But when you talk about an industry that's been around for hundreds of years and talked about, um, you know how how farmers are, can can skew, I guess, less less tech savvy. Uh, there is the question of you know are some customers asking do i really need this or do customers uh, really want this is that an issue that john deere is dealing with among its customers
1: yeah for sure because it it comes down to like cost to a degree right because people see like okay i've uh do i do i really want to pay 15% more for like the latest tractor that has like some new like optimized software for how to you know, plant a better seed bed or, you know, I've already been, I, I think I've, I've been farming for 50 years. I, I think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> like there's a resistance to change and you're not only telling people to change, but you're telling people to pay up to change. And so there's, there's definitely some, some friction there. Um, and there, there's a little bit of controversy too with um, some of the things that John Deere specifically is doing. So last year there was this scandal called the right to repair issue. Where John Deere was essentially locking out um, anyone who wasn't an official John Deere dealer or you know certified maintenance person from repairing their vehicle, right? So you're talking about preventing p- people who own their own equipment from making their own repairs because they don't have access to like the console of of their machine, um, and so there's a couple of things there, right? But you know, you're asking people that you're asking people who've done something a certain way for many years to change, you're asking them to pay more for this stuff, and they're not even sure how to use it. And then you're also throwing in some limitations to to what people can do with their, their machines. So there's been there's definitely been some push and pull with the way that John Deere has rolled out some of this technology.
0: Yeah, I think the interesting thing we we we've talked about this iPhone analogy a little bit throughout this story, and when the uh, uh, the right to repair story, I think has a great analogy with the iPhone, because you had folks li- literally trying to jail jailbreak their uh, John Deere tractor so they could do uh, do repairs to this equipment. So so these same types of, of, of conflicts or or. Uh, uh, you know, jailbreak situations that we see in customer in kind of consumer products, you're seeing the same type of stuff happen um, in, in these industrial industrial products. Um it's kind of, any kind of final thoughts there on the the, the customer issue and the extent to which um, that may affect the rollout of John Deere's tech uh, attack going forward?
1: Yeah, I mean look, you can you can do some research online and, and see all these like stories of people complaining that they can't repair their own tractor. But there is another side of that story, and the other side of the story is that there's regulatory reasons why you don't necessarily want people to tamper with some of the, the software or some of the hardware in, the, in these machines, right? So I think there's two sides to that story. And just to kind of summarize it really quickly, um, there are things that you could do if, if you had access to this equipment such that you could add more horsepower to the machines and make them less compliant with like emission standards and, and other kind of regulations that that would actually make the machine more profitable to the farmer but make them not so street legal. <laughs> so I think I think it's you got to be careful with with some of the narratives that you read out there and really try to understand both sides of it. I do think that if we're bringing this all the way back to like the Apple example, the the John Deere uh, the John Deere technology effort, Reminds me a lot more of like the iPhone than like what Caterpillar is doing. It it feels like it's a lot more, the way they're marketing it and some of the features and the way they're they're upselling things, it feels a lot more like selling to uh, a consumer.
0: Yeah, well another thing that I wanted to point out on, on the Apple analogy on John Deere as we kind of move into the the financial aspect of, of their technology offering is very recently just in the past week or so, John Deere has come out and announced that they're going to report their software software revenue as a separate line item um, in their in their financial reporting, which echoes back to Apple's move to report their services line item separately in their um, separately in their financials. What does this say about you know John Deere wants? This software business to be part of the narrative we look at as investors going forward.
1: It's really smart because everyone knows that a software or a tech business is gonna get a higher multiple than some stodgy old equipment business. So to the extent that they can set set a different narrative, I, I like you'd be hard pressed if you if you ask your average person, you know, is is John Deere and Caterpillar a tech company. To, you'd be hard pressed to convince them that they're tech companies, but if John Deere can convince investors that hey, like, you know, a, a significant portion of our earnings are coming from tech, pay, pay a higher multiple for our stock, I think that that's that's a really savvy move.
0: Well, Luis, I guess the question that I have to ask is like, can they convince you? When you look at uh, you know how big their their sophomore opportunity might be and the the potential to grow, uh, is that something that that makes this stock interesting? to you today or what are your thoughts? This is a stock that's run an incredible amount in the past year, John Deere specifically.
1: Yeah. I think that to the extent that you can look at things like AutoTrack that they are making people pay extra for and you you couldn't really argue that AutoTrack and some of these software tools are not a really valuable source of recurring revenue that didn't exist 20, 30 years ago. So when you look at some of these things that they're attaching that have different financial characteristics than just selling a tractor. Like, yes, you, you certainly should give them credit for that. However, I wouldn't, you know, suddenly think of John Deere as like the next Tesla because at the end of the day, you have to think about like the success of their customer is going to determine the success of the be able to sell things to the customer. So if farmers are doing really, really well because the the parts of the economy that help farmers, so like rising prices for certain crops, the the value of land. If those things are are doing well, then the farmers doing well, then the farmer is going to be able to have more money to to invest in new equipment and pay for you know new new technology, right? So you can't completely divorce John Deere from the fact that it is selling to you know a resource industry that that does have. Uh, uh, ties to macroeconomic
0: factors. Absolutely. So, so when you look at at, at these companies at at kind of all time highs, we we do have uh, you know kind of towards all time high uh, um, multiples in in this new universe. Though, uh, do you think you know times have changed and these companies deserve higher multiples than they they would have historically? And we're at, we're in a universe where fifteen times earnings for even some of these industrial companies we're not in that universe anymore because even these companies have tech offerings and recurring revenue and, and all the sorts of things that, that we look at uh, f- for these uh, higher multiple businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, I think that where we are in the cycle too makes these really interesting because uh, we're, we're potentially in, in, a, in, in a situation where spending on infrastructure could go up and where inflation could, could raise the price of, of certain goods that, that could help some of these commodity prices. So for farmers, that would be like crops. For uh, Caterpillar, that could be something like uh, oil and gas, which a lot of their customers are, are involved in that. Um, so I think you, you do have to think about the cycle. If you think about the actual business composition, uh where Caterpillar is at is last year 40% of their revenue came from parts and services. And parts and services as as a as we mentioned are it's a higher margin revenue. It's a higher margin revenue. So, you know, maybe that is more valuable, right? And if they do hit their goals in terms of doubling their parts and services revenue over, over this period of time, like well, you should probably give them some credit for that because that's probably gonna result in you know margin expansion. And we've already seen some margin expansion from from both of these companies um, and and the ability to to operate more in that uh parts and surfacing side of the business also actually takes out some of the cyclicality right so it makes their it makes their revenue models a little bit more um, uh it makes them less volatile from year to year
0: right so you're less sub subject to the, to these cycles that, mm-hmm. that you were talking about earlier you'll always be subject to you know, listen. If if nobody wants to drill for oil and gas, they're not going to go buy go buy the, the Caterpillar equipment or, or what have you. Um, but they do have some, something that, that smooths out um, some of that revenue um, going forward. To wrap everything up here, uh, we've talked about how how some of these big industrial giants are starting to integrate technology more and more into their business models. This isn't a trend that's going to go into reverse anytime soon. So as you look out to the next. Say five years of this, the continuation of this trend. What are some things you're looking for and are going to be paying attention to? Sure, there's a lot of interesting
1: things that these companies are still working on that they still have visibility to to roll out. I think for for John Deere, the 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 300 pound gorilla is probably getting from like autopilot to to fully autonomous. And if you talk to the company and if you talk to people who know this space they'll tell you that they have all the technology to make tractors and to make farming equipment fully autonomous but they haven't yet put it all together to to make that happen and actually regulators aren't aren't there yet in terms of 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 letting them do it right so that's actually something where i think that to the extent that we could get full self driving approved on the regulatory side in the automotive market that can kind of make it easier to smooth the process for some of this like farming equipment and some of these other industries to, to get regulatory blessing to, to become full, uh, fully autonomous. And if you think about it, like it solves a lot of problems, right? Because agricultural agriculture is an industry where we have to deal with seasonal labor issues, labor shortage issues. To, and so to the extent that you can allow these companies, allow farmers to operate more autonomously and uh, less human capital intensive, um, I think it could really change the shape of that industry, um, and then for both of these companies, Caterpillar and Deere, uh, electrification of of the machines uh, is is going to be another really big one. And it's not that it's not as easy to electrify, you know, a really really big piece of heavy equipment as it is to electrify like a relatively small car, right? So I think the technology for for doing that is going to take a little bit longer. Um, you know, just to be able to have as much uh, torque and as much hauling power as they need. But when it happens, you know, that's just another thing that you know they could uh, roll out and and make these uh, make these machines uh, that much better.
0: Yeah, so that, that's something we'll be watching for, Luis. And and as we have uh, as we have, excuse me, that's something we'll be watching for, Luis. And as we have things uh, to discuss in that space, we'll be looking forward to having you back on uh, to break it all down. Uh, looking forward to having you on next time. Thanks. Me too. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Annie Franks for her work behind the virtual glass. For Luis Sanchez, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on!